When you hear the name Martin Luther King, what comes to mind? What about Osama bin Laden? What about Muhammad Ali? Neil Armstrong? Adolf Hitler? Mother Teresa? Chances are, when I mentioned each of those names, something came to your mind. And the reason is because of legacy. A legacy is what you leave after you're gone. It's what lives on after you die. It's how you will be remembered. It's, it's the impact that you made in your life while you were here. And the fact is we all leave a legacy. It doesn't matter whether we're well-known or unknown. We will leave a legacy. The only question is what kind of legacy Will we leave? This morning we're starting a a three-part series focusing on the legacy that each and every one of us will leave. And and we're focusing on three specific areas. First of all, we're we're looking at the legacy we'll leave in our home, our family. And and then we're going to look at the legacy we will leave in the world. And then finally, we're going to look at the legacy we will leave through our finances, through the resources that God has given us. But this morning as we start, I want us to start with what I believe is the most important. And that's the legacy that we leave in our home with our family. Nothing is more important than your spiritual legacy. And yet, there are some of you here this morning who are more concerned with your children's educational well-being, their athletic success, or them finding the right job or mate in the world than you are about the spiritual legacy that you will leave with your children. And yet you need to understand that though academics may be important and though athletics may be important and though the job they have may be important and though the person they marry is certainly important, nothing is more important than the spiritual legacy that you will leave with your children. And understand, when it comes to our spiritual legacy, the choices that we are making today will determine the legacy we leave with our children tomorrow. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. During the first part of the 19th century, there was a young Jewish boy who was growing up in in Germany. His father was a successful merchant, and, and the family was actively involved practicing their Jewish faith. The family moved from one town to another, and and when they moved to a new town, the father set his family down and said, we're no longer going to practice Judaism, we're going to become Lutherans. Well, this young boy really was committed to his Jewish faith, and he didn't understand, and so he met with his father and said, Father, why are we no longer practicing Judaism? Why are we becoming Lutherans? And his father said, it's better for business because there are more Lutherans in this town than there are Jews. And if we want to make money, we want to get in with the Lutherans. Well, as you can imagine, this young boy became disillusioned and he later wrote this. He said, I came to the conclusion that my father had no real convictions. 
And this incident that happened in his life caused him to turn from faith and all religion. Later on, this boy moved from Germany to England to continue his studies, and and he became a writer. And one of the books that he wrote was a book entitled The Communist Manifesto. The young boy's name was Karl Marx, and in that book, The Communist Manifesto, he said religion is the opiate of the masses. You see, the choices we make today are determining the legacy that we will leave tomorrow. Now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is no one in this room this morning that wants to leave the kind of legacy that Karl Marx's father left. And yet, and yet, if we were honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that by the choices that we are making, by the way that we are living, that is the kind of legacy that we are going to leave with our kids. Our children are not going to grow up and become adults and fall in love with Jesus because of the way that we're living. The truth is, many of our children are going to grow up, they're going to become adults, and they're going to turn from the faith that you have because of the legacy you've left. Now, I know. I know that even right now, before I go any further, there are some of you that feel beat up and beat down. You already are discouraged, you already are defeated, and you feel like a failure as a parent. And understand, I I, I really do know where you're coming from. I know how it feels to feel like you have failed in this area of your life. But I want you to understand whatever God calls you to do, He will empower you to do. And whatever job God gives you, he will give you the resources to do that job. And if God wants you to be a godly parent, and God wants you to have a spiritual impact on your children, then God is going to give you the ability to do that. And so in the great words of Yogi Berra, I would say to you, it ain't over till it's over. And so if you're here today and and your parents, are all, your kids are already a little bit older and you feel like you've failed, you feel like you've messed up, you feel like you've blown it, I've got good news for you. It ain't over till it's over. Your children may be grown. They may be out of the house and, and you may have grandchildren out. But I've got good news for you. It ain't over till it's over. And so wherever you are in your journey, you may not have children yet. You may have young children in the home. Your children may be teenagers. They may be out of the house. You may have grandchildren. You can still have a spiritual impact on your family, and you can leave the kind of legacy you want to leave if you allow God to use you. And so with that said, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. When you're turning there, it's the fifth book in the Bible. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background. The book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses' farewell address to Israel. The people have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they're about to enter into the promised land, and Moses is not going to go in with them. And so the book of Deuteronomy gives us his final words to the people that he has been leading for well over 40 years. The name Deuteronomy comes from 
two Greek words, deuteros, which means second, and nomos, which means law. It is the second giving of the law. Now, some of you are wondering, why did God give the law a second time to his people? Well, remember, 40 years had passed since God gave the law at Mount Sinai. And during this 40-year period, a a new generation has arose, a, a generation that was not there when God gave the law to his people, a generation that, that did not see what happened at Mount Sinai. And so here in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving the people the law a second time, these children and their children the law, so that they will know what God expects. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he He gives them the Ten Commandments again, the the foundation upon which we're to build our lives. And then in chapter 6, Moses says this. Listen to verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, primarily the Ten Commandments. You must obey them. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy You and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If, if you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey. um, In the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now Moses is primarily speaking to the adults here. And as he's speaking to them, he is letting them know that what he is about to say is not only going to have an impact on their lives, it's going to have an impact on their children's lives. And it's going to have an impact on their children's children's lives and, and the generations to follow. And, and notice what he said. He said, you must obey God's commands. This is non-negotiable. You were God's people. And as God's people, you must obey God's commands. What we need to understand today as followers of Christ is this. If we love Jesus, we will obey him. There are many today who call themselves Christ followers who who say, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and, and then they live however they want to. And yet, the Bible makes it clear that if we are God's people, if we belong to him, we must obey him. And then he says this. He says, if you obey, things will go well with you in the land that I promised you. Your children and your children's children will be blessed. You will discover that it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God's saying to his people, I've given you some laws. And you need to follow these laws. And if you follow these laws, everything's going to go well with you. And it's your responsibility to pass on these laws to your children and to their children. Now listen to what it says in in Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, that that entire chapter gives us a history of Israel as a people. And in verses 5 and 6, this is what the psalmist says. He says, he, that is God, commanded our parents to teach it, that is God's word, to their children. So the next generation would know and all the generations to come. Did you get that? 
It is saying that as parents, we have a responsibility to pass on to our children the truth about God and the truths of God, and then they will pass it on to their children, and then they will pass it on to their children, because if we don't continue to pass it on, terrible things will happen. We see an example of that in the Bible. The book of Judges is a, is a perfect example, and we're not going to go into detail here because we, we spent several months on this about a year ago, but, but as the book of Judges ended, not once but twice, this is what God said. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We, we come to the end of Judges, and, and, and now God's people, the people of God, are living In a land where there is no longer a standard of right and wrong. Whatever you believe, whatever you wanted to do, you did. The people who called themselves God's people had completely removed God's word and replaced it with their own version of truth. And we sit back and we ask ourselves, how in the world did they ever get here? I mean, in a matter of a generation or two, they they went from entering the promised land and following the Lord to now everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. How did they get there? When Judges chapter 2, verse 10, one one of the saddest verses in the Bible, it says this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, the generation that that entered the promised land, the generation that had a personal relationship with God. After that generation died, another generation grew up. And listen to what it says. Who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And so in a matter of one generation, you move from people who knew the Lord to people who had no clue Who he was. You see, they left a legacy. But it was a terrible legacy. A legacy of judgment. A legacy of pain. A legacy of suffering. All because they did not pass down the truth of who God is. And and the truth of how we are to live under God's law to their children and their children's children. And I want you to know that that I believe with all my heart the, the same thing is happening here in our land today. The statistics are are alarming. They are frightening. They are heartbreaking. When we look at the number of people who are leaving the church as they grow into the teenage years and and the adult years. We who are adults are, are doing a horrible job of reaching our children and our children's children with the truth of who God is and how God demands that we live. And so what can we do? How can you and I live in such a way that that will give our children the best chance of having a godly legacy that changes their life? Well, as we look at Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9, I believe we see four things that I believe 
are very specifically given to parents and grandparents. And it tells us what we need to do when it comes to the truth of God and the truth of God's Word if we want to leave a godly legacy. I got four kids. I've got four grandkids right now. My oldest son and daughter-in-law have taken in a two-year-old. And, and I know that, that our family is going to grow more and more over the years. And I got to tell you, nothing is more important to me right now than to leave a godly legacy for my family. Because if my wife and I come to the end of our life and, and we leave them a financial legacy that will make them secure in their life, and yet we haven't left them a spiritual legacy to build their lives upon, we've left them nothing. If I, if I sit down with my grandchildren, I teach them how to throw a curveball or, or throw a beautiful spiral or, or dribble a basketball, and yet I don't teach them how to love God, I've given them nothing. If I sit down and I help them learn to read and write and, and do all the other things that will give them a good education so that they can get a good job, and yet... And yet, when they grow up, they don't love Jesus. I've given them nothing. So how? How can we live so that we'll leave a godly legacy for our family? Let me give you four things. First of all, you've got to know the Lord personally. Listen to what it says in verse 4. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord alone. God's word translation says it this way. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God is the only true God. You can translate that Hebrew verse this way. Listen closely. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone. Now this verse is called the Shema, which comes from the Hebrew word meaning to hear. And, and it was as important to the Jew as as John 3.16 is to the Christian. That word here implies that what is about to be said is extremely important. God is saying to his people, I want you to listen up. Don't miss this. This is fundamental. This is foundational. You will never make it unless you get this. You see, as they were about to enter the promised land, they were going to enter a land where, where there were many gods. And, and if they didn't, have a firm foundation as to who God was and they didn't know him personally and intimately, then they would have a tendency to drift toward those false gods and, and eventually they would find themselves worshiping those false gods. And so Moses gave them a foundational truth. Notice what he says. He says, there is a God. And then he said, there's only one God. And then he says, that God is Yahweh, the Lord. He identifies him. He gives us his name. And then he says, he is our God. 
In Isaiah 45, verse 5, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. You see, God wanted his people to know not only that he was the all-powerful God, God wanted his people to know that he and he alone was God. But understand, we've got to go further than that today. You see, it's not enough for us to believe in the reality of God. The overwhelming majority of Americans believe in the reality of God. The overwhelming majority of Americans believe in the reality of the God of the Bible, the Christian God. Now, that's important. We need to know who God is. We need to know his characteristics. We need to know his attributes. But listen, there is a difference between believing in the reality of God and having a personal relationship with God. And notice what it says in this verse again. The Lord is our God. That implies relationship. Suppose my brother and his kids come up to visit from Tampa and my mom and dad come over to visit from Hartsville and then we go out to eat together. And while we're sitting there eating, we're talking around the table and and we're, we're sharing, and, and I look at my, my grandkids, and I look at um, everyone around the table, and I say, this is my mom, and this is my dad. And then my brother looks at them and say, this is my mom, and this is my dad. And, and then we together say, this is our mom. This is our dad. Because they are. But then there's somebody sitting over at a table across the restaurant, and they've heard our conversation, and, and they say, That's my mom. That's my dad. I'm going to look. And I'm going to, who are you? I never saw you around the dinner table. I never saw you at our Christmas gatherings. Who are you? They're not your mom. They're not your dad. You can call them that all you want to, but they're not yours. You see, when it says God is our God, it is implying a personal relationship. And you need to understand that you will never be able to pass on to your children what you don't possess yourself. You can take your children to church. You can send them to Christian schools. You can even have conversations with them at home about the faith. But if it's not your faith, And that faith hasn't revolutionized your life. It's never going to impact your kids. And so let me ask you a question. Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with the God of the Bible? Say, oh yes. Then let me ask you a question. When did it happen? How did it happen? What difference is he making in your life today? I want you to look at me. Look. This is so important. If you say that you have a relationship with God and you can't tell me when that began, you can't tell me how that transpired, you can't tell me the difference he's making in your life today, I would look you in the eyes and I would say, oh, oh, listen, you know about him, but you don't know him. If you've met the God of the Bible, you know when you met him. 
If you've met the God of the Bible, you know how it happened. You know where you were at. You know who talked to you. You know the events surrounding that event. If you know the God of the Bible, he's made a difference in your life because there's no way the God of all creation can come to reside in you without changing you and transforming you and making you new. And that's the problem. There are some of us here this morning who are trying to give away to our children something that we don't have. And our kids see right through it. They know we're not real. They know we're fakes. And can I say to you, listen, if you do know him, then you've probably wanted to talk to your kids about him. And I'm not talking about read a little devotional book with them, which is important. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about you sitting down with them saying, let me tell you about the greatest moment in my life when everything changed. I mean, why would you send your children to church to give someone else the privilege of telling them about your God? And introducing them to the one who changed your life. Man, I would rather have that privilege myself. Amen? So do you know the Lord personally? You're never going to leave a godly legacy with your kids unless you know him personally. Secondly, you've got to love him passionately. Look at verse 5. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. That's funny. How we often pass on to our children what we love. When I see raving Carolina fans or Clemson fans, their children typically are raving fans. When I see a man who is passionate about hunting, typically their kids are passionate about hunting. About a month ago, we had a 5K race. And we had some little kids out here running this 3.1, 3.2 mile race. I mean, they were booking it. But here's what I discovered. Every child that was out there running had a parent that was passionate about running. They, they were passing on what they were passionate about. It just seems that that's the truth. We passion. Pass on to our kids what we passionately love. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe we love the Lord. We just don't passionately love the Lord. Let me give you an example. If you go to the doctor to get an inoculation Take your kids to get a doctor, go to the doctor to get inoculation against a certain disease, or you go to the doctor to get a flu shot. What you are actually doing is you are putting a little bit of that disease, a little bit of that flu into your system. And what happens is your immune system builds up a resistance to that disease and to that flu. So whenever you get an inoculation, whenever you get a flu shot, you're getting a little bit of the real thing 
that protects you from the thing. And maybe, just maybe, our problem today is we give our kids just enough of Jesus to turn them off to the real thing. Amen? Oh my. Do our kids see us so passionately in love with Jesus that we will live for him regardless of the cost? Do our kids see us passionately in love with Jesus to the point that we are willing to die if that's what it takes to live for him? Now look back at verse 5. Notice the word that is repeated three times. That word all. Love the Lord your God with all. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your strength. And what that makes, what, what is clear in that verse is that we are to love God with every fiber of our being. Not just pieces and, and parts of our life. We are to love him with, with every part of who we are. Every part of our life is affected by our love for him, our, our morals, our money, our, our marriage, every part. What this is saying is we can't compartmentalize our life. We, we can't have a work life and a recreational life and a family life and a spiritual life and a secret life. We can't do that. God wants our life, all of it. And hear me, he wants all your love. He doesn't want a divided love. And so have your children seen a passionate love for Jesus in you that, that results in a radical obedience from you. Because if they see a passionate love that results in a radical obedience, the one thing I know is this, they will know what you have is real. And maybe, just maybe, they'll grow up and reject it. That's a possibility. But hear me, it's highly unlikely. Because our kids really do look up to us. They're watching everything we do. There's an old poem I've read before I want to read to you again. It's entitled, Little Eyes Are Watching. And so, if you want this, you don't have to email me. You can just... Type in little eyes are watching and you can find it online. But listen to what it says. There are little eyes upon you and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do everything you do. And a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the fellow's little idol. You're the wisest of the wise. And his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devotedly, holds that all you say and do, he will say and do in your way when he's grown up like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right, and his ears are always open, and he watches day and night. You are setting an example every day in all you do for the little boy who's watching to grow up to be just like you. Mom and dad, grandma, granddad, you are setting an example for your kids and for your grandkids. Are you setting an example of someone who passionately loves the Lord? I heard about this pastor who was doing a little children's sermon with a, a group of kids, and he asked them a, a question 
um, why do you love God? And, and as they went around, each of them gave different answers. But when he came to the very last kid, he liked the answer that that kid gave the best. The little kid looked at the pastor and said, well, I don't know why I love God, preacher. I guess it just runs in my family. <laughs> I kind of like that. Some of you are saying, well, I don't think we should um, teach our children about God. They should learn on their own. Are you serious? Why don't you use that for brushing their teeth? Wiping their hiney after they use the bathroom. And I know that sounds gross, but you're not going to just leave them to do what they want to do on those things. You're going to say, here's what you do, and here's why. God gave you those little lives so that you can have the privilege of impacting them. So use your time wisely. If you want to leave a godly legacy, you've got to know the Lord personally. You've got to love the Lord passionately. But third, you've got to pursue the Lord consistently. Look at verse 6. It says, you must think constantly about these commands I'm giving you today. The, the contemporary English version says, memorize his laws. And then I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because you already know this. I can't teach you what you already know. You know that you need to study God's Word. The only problem is you're not. Most of you here this morning have not developed a systematic plan to study God's Word every day. You haven't. Most of you here have never read through the Bible one single time. And my question would be, why not? I mean, we say the whole Bible is God's Word, don't we? Then why would we not read it through? I mean, if you're here and, and you are less than a year old as a believer, you're under grace. But if you're here and you've been a believer for over a year and you haven't started going through God's Word systematically and you're not going to get through it in the next year or two, Something is wrong. I mean, how are you going to ever learn how to apply God's Word to your life if you don't know what God's Word says? You say, well, that's why I come to church. Well, you need to be like the Bereans were in Acts 17. When Paul preached to them, they went back home and searched the Scripture to see what Paul said was true. You don't need to take my word for it. When I tell you something, you need to open up God's Word with your kids. And you need to go, well, Pastor Rocky was right. You need to open up God's Word. It's amazing. It's amazing what, quote, Christians from Bible-believing churches believe today. This past week, a popular speaker and author among Christian women came out in support of the LBGT movement. She said that you can be gay, a practicing gay, and, and you can love Jesus just like heterosexuals can. I want you to listen to me. I don't know where she got that from, but she didn't get it from the Bible. And so what that means is this, either she doesn't know the Bible, and yet she is influencing millions of women 
or she has just chosen to reject the Bible. Either one is wrong. Ladies, listen to me. Men, listen to me. You need to be careful who you listen to. And you were taught spiritual truth by. Because there's a lot of people who are going to lead you astray. And you're never going to know it unless you get into the Word for yourself. And by the way, how am I going to ever teach my children the principles of God's Word if I haven't studied it for myself? And so if I want to leave a godly legacy, I've got to know the Lord personally. I mean, he's got to be real to me, life-changing. I've got to love the Lord passionately. He's got to not just be the most important thing in my life. Truth be known, he's got to be the only thing in my life. And if he's the only thing in my life, then everything else will take care of itself. I've got to pursue the Lord consistently on a regular basis by opening up his word. And then finally, I've got to teach the Lord intentionally. Now, now these other three things, know the Lord personally, love, or know the Lord personally, know, love, love the Lord passionately, pursue the Lord consistently. Those are things I need to do personally. But this final one is the one that I do with my children. Now, now notice what it says, verse 7. Impress them, what? Impress the commands that I'm giving you. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see, the Bible teaches that the primary responsibility of educating our children spiritually doesn't rest with the church. It rests with the home. There are some of you here, look at me, there are some of you here today, if I stood up and, and, and I was preaching and I said, we need to get prayer back in our school, amen? Man, I'd get a round of applause. And yet many of you who would clap aren't even taking advantage of your right to pray with your children at home every day. God forgive you. You hypocrite. You're wanting our secular school system to do something that you're not doing yourself. Hypocrite. And we wonder why we're losing the battle. It's not because we've taken God out of our schools. It's because he's not showing up in our homes. That word impress comes from a Hebrew word, excuse me, that means to sharpen, like sharpening a knife. And, and when it's in the intensive form, which it is right here, it means to sharpen incisively. So it's not, it's not taking a knife and taking the sharpening stone and sharpening it a couple of times. It means sharpening it over and 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 over until that knife is razor sharp. And so what this is saying is that you are working with your children in such a way that God's Word becomes razor sharp in their life. 
How do we do that? We do that through saturation. We go over God's word with them over and over 24-7. Moses said when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up in the morning, we're using every opportunity to go over God's word. And, And truth be told, many of us aren't doing that. And the reason we're not is because it just flat out isn't a priority. So dad, mom, granddad, grandma, I mean, what good is it going to do if you teach your kid how to throw a ball? What good is it going to do if you teach them how to balance a checkbook? What good is it going to do if you show him how to make a living, but you haven't taught them how to live a life that is pleasing to God? And your home is the training ground for that. God has put your children in your hands so that you can leave them with a godly legacy. What good is it going to be if you raise your children in the finest home? You give your children the finest education. You see that they get the finest job. They marry the finest girl or the finest boy. You help them get into the finest career. They live a fine life to die. But you make sure that they have the finest funeral. They have the finest casket. They're buried in the finest cemetery. And yet one day when you're standing before God and they're standing before God, you hear God say to your son or your daughter, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I got to tell you something. There aren't a lot of things that I'm afraid of. I'm really not afraid of one day facing persecution as a believer in America. When it comes, I may get afraid. I don't know, but, but I, I've thought this through, and I really don't think I, I, I'm going to be afraid. There's not a whole lot of things I'm afraid of, but i got to tell you, I am afraid. One day standing before God, hearing God say to my children or my grandchildren, or if I live long enough, my great-grandchildren, depart from me. I don't know you. Because you see, at least in part, I'm responsible. As a parent, I've got the responsibility to pour into them the truth of who God is and the truth of God's Word. As a grandparent, I have to take advantage of those opportunities. And you do too. So listen to me. You're proud because you've taken your kids to to travel ball and yet they don't go to church? You're proud that your kids are making the honor roll but they don't know the Ten Commandments? You're proud your kids have a strong work ethic and yet They're going to die believing that it's their works that are going to get them into heaven? Wake up. 
You see, the most important legacy that you can leave and I can leave is a spiritual legacy with our children. We can do that. Gigi Graham is is Billy Graham's daughter. She wrote a book years ago entitled Passing It On. And in the introduction of the book, this is what she says. She said, the sound of crunching gravel beneath the tire suddenly brought me back to reality. I'd been remembering my happy childhood as we made our way up the driveway that led to the familiar red brick farmhouse. With a heavy heart, I slowly got out of the car. I always disliked goodbyes, but this one was going to be even more difficult than usual. I knew this would be the last time I would see my grandmother Graham. As we entered the quiet bedroom, tears filled my eyes. She looked so small and frail sitting on the edge of her bed. Soft, white hair framed her sweet, gentle face, which, although pale, was radiant with the joy of seeing her grandchildren and great-grandchildren again. One by one, we approached her bedside. Taking each one in her feeble arms, she gave us a special verse or a blessing And then with deep conviction in her weak voice, she said, pass it on. A few days later, Mother Graham died. I've never forgotten her words. What are you going to pass on to your children? When you die, are your children going to stand there in front of your casket and say with words that they mean My dad was a godly man. He taught me to love Jesus. My mom was a godly woman. Taught me how to love Jesus. Are they going to say that? Everything else you give them will count for nothing. If you don't give them that. And remember... It ain't over till it's over. It's never too late to pick up the baton and say, from here on out, I'm going to do everything I can to leave that godly legacy. Now, I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, there's two things that I am going to ask you to do right now. First of all, there are some of you here that may not know the Lord personally. So the truth of the matter is you can't pass on what you don't know. And right here, right now, you know that you need to know the Lord. You know this is the most important thing. And and God's used your children to convict you of your need. And, And if that's you, you don't know the Lord personally, and you want to, then I want to encourage you to humbly Pray this prayer to God right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning asking you to forgive me for all my sins. I've disobeyed you. I've lived life my way. I'm so sorry. I believe you love me. You died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose from the grave to give me a brand new life. Right here, right now, I'm trusting you to save me. 
I'm giving you my life. Take control. Come into my heart. Make me brand new. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.